you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world, raise $130 million in growth funding, and can help you fast-track product market fit and, where relevant, the launch of your token economy. Okay, so today I'm really happy to welcome on the show Syrah Muller, Games Editor at Wired. Welcome, Syrah. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So I know you're speaking relatively early, uh, sorry, relatively late, well, depends on (laughs) 12 o'clock your time, but um, as we said off air, you are a gamer, so you should be used to late nights. Um, Yes. And, you know, so the reason why we've got you on, obviously, is you are somebody that enjoys a pretty deep view into what's going on in the context of the metaverse, but as a gamer... Um, I think, you know, looking at the idea around these kind of first virtual worlds that we're experiencing mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the kind of emergent play to earn phenomena that we're seeing with axes, you know, how that all marries up with perhaps the, the more closed end of the spectrum um, in, in gaming. It's going to be a yes. really interesting subject to explore with you. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you speak to lots of really interesting people like me. And so it's always interesting to get a kind of synthesis of of, of that kind of collective mind um, as people are trying to understand um, all the kind of basic principles that, that we're seeing em- emerge now and, and perhaps considerations, fears, hopes, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> Yes. So, as I said, you're, you're gaming editor at Wired. You're founder of Women of Esports. Um, mm-hmm. You have a Master of Science in Journalism from Columbia University um, mm-hmm. in New York. You're formerly managing editor of one of the leading industry news sites, Dot Esports and Gen G. And originally from Australia. So you've lost your accent. Yes. A little bit. It still it comes out very occasionally, but I have been living in the US for over seven years now. So when you drink beer, right? That's when you sound like an Australian. I oh, bet. pretty much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or when I'm around other Australians, even honestly Brits sometimes, because oh, we wow. have a lot of the same vernacular. So <laughs> let's see if I can draw it out of you. <laughs> and you started the Green of Esports Discord back in, in two thousand eight. Yes. So just tell us a bit about your your journey as a gamer and as a gaming journalist? Yeah, um, I've been a gamer my entire life. Uh, My dad wasn't necessarily a gamer, but he was always one of the first people I knew to like adopt new technologies, right? So like he always had a video camera in his hand and he's still at 80 buying like the newest tech that's out there and like tinkering around with it. So um, I'm not surprised that I became a gamer at a very young age, but uh, started with Game Boy Color with, you know, the, the original Nintendo systems. Um, The first like proper uh, gaming console that we got was the original PlayStation. Um, 
for Christmas when I was, I don't even remember how old I was, like nine, 10, somewhere around there. Uh, and so my brother and I used to play that a lot. And then I became more of a gamer, I would say, when I got my first PC. Um, so that was around when I was like 14, 15, um, got really into World of Warcraft. That was sort of, you know, took up a lot of years of my life. We'll just, we'll just say that. <laughs> One of the almost original metaverses in some ways. Um, and then uh, didn't really become deeply immersed, I would say, like I am now in the gaming world until I started reporting on it, which was back in 2015. Um, I started at International Business Times in New York, and I was the gaming reporter there. And that's sort of when I dove headfirst into everything. As you can imagine, that was also right after uh, a lot of controversial things in the gaming industry. So it was an interesting time to be coming in as a woman right. covering games in journalism. Um, but it's changed a lot since then. And with everything with the metaverse coming up now, it's it's a really interesting time to be in games journalism for sure. So let's maybe just start with how how you would define the metaverse and whether you see, you know, the things like World of Warcraft, these kind of first immersive experiences that captured your childhood, mm -hmm. um, this misspent or, or I would argue well invested youth. Um, you know, what was it about World of Warcraft that that pulled you in and mm -hmm. do, do you consider that part of the metaverse or is this a, a kind of a new framing for you? Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't really consider it part of the metaverse, right? I think in some ways it was like the very early iteration slash hint of what the metaverse could be, you know, all the big MMORPGs bringing people together from all over the world to play in a completely digital space together creating your own avatar, having your own name, having autonomy of that character and being able to choose where you went in the world and what you did and who you interacted with. Like that was, I think, like a very good hint at what the metaverse could be and where it was going. Um, I would say my definition of the metaverse is your digital persona realized and you can move around the digital world with this persona in the exact same way you do the real world, right? So um, maybe it's just very ready player one, <laughs> but you know, having more autonomy over your digital self, a lot of us, a lot of people don't really realize that they already have this existing digital persona, right? When you think about all of the different account logins you have on different websites, when you think about the credit profile that companies have on you, all of this is a shadow version of yourself that lives online and has this persona. It's just yeah. you can't control all of that yourself. It doesn't have a face necessarily. It doesn't really have a name beyond your actual own name. Um, and so I think the metaverse is the next iteration of that. And it's people taking autonomy over that digital self and being able to use that everywhere they go, just like they do in real life. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting framing uh, that the persona, personas currently, well, persona, because it's a kind of a aggregate of mm -hmm. all the metadata, I guess, that people have in you. But it's interesting framing that that's a shadow and effectively um, you, you want to kind of take back control of that. 
you know, I guess in, in the kind of crypto world, we would talk about that around the principle of sovereignty and the sovereignty yes. of the individual and, and identity. And so um, at what point did did blockchain come on your radar as a gamer? And mm-hmm. you know, was it just in the context of, of initially crypto? And, you know, how is that? How has the understanding of blockchain and Web3 begun to influence your thinking around the metaverse? Yeah, um, it's been an interesting journey, honestly. So originally, my kind of understanding of the blockchain was just through cryptocurrencies. I actually had a former co-worker that worked with me at Dot Esports who was super into cryptocurrencies in 2016. Um, and tried to convince all of us constantly to buy Ethereum and Bitcoin. And we should have taken him up on it, but most of us did not, unfortunately. Um, but that was sort of my first introduction to, you know, the blockchain, to cryptocurrencies. And to me, even then, I had so much going on. I didn't really take the time to stop and understand it. And it was only, I would say, probably like start of last year, the end of the year before that I really started paying attention. Um, I kind of dipped my world first into cryptocurrencies and blockchain by buying Dogecoin, actually. And that was in like, I well, I made a lot of money off it. So it actually worked out really well for me. But... I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting how much of an entry point Doge has been because I think yeah. you know, in the crypto world, it's kind of dismissed. But look, Elon Musk behind yes. it, Vitalik's just joined the foundation. Well, Okay, so the interesting thing, though, is that I got on the bandwagon before it really blew up because everyone in the gaming world was already talking about it, like, constantly. And that's why I decided to buy it because in, like, December, what, 2019? 2019? I don't even know what year it is anymore. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so not this most recent December, but the December beforehand. Yeah. Everyone that I knew in gaming was talking about Dogecoin on Twitter and how it was rising. And I was like, what is going on with this? Like, this is literally a meme cryptocurrency that holds no real tangible value right now. So I was like, you know what? Let me just put some money in it, see what happens. And then it crazily took off at like, what, the end of January. So like a month later. Um, But that really opened my eyes and hearing a lot of the stories of people that you know, bought Dogecoin or bought Ethereum or, you know, even Bitcoin right before it kind of went on that crazy upwards trajectory and how much it changed their lives made me realize that the blockchain and the metaverse, once we, you know, make it a little bit more accessible and easy to understand for people is going to be, I mean, I think revolutionary. So it's interesting. So tell me why you think Doge cut through because you can't dismiss it. And it's interesting yeah. to hear that Doge was the one that introduced perhaps a whole generation of, of gamers to crypto, to the principles yeah. of crypto. What do you think it was about Doge that cut through? Was it its memetics or was it something else? I, I think it was, honestly. I, I think it was. it speaks a lot to gaming culture and it speaks a lot to... I would say a lot of the younger generations because a lot of them grew up with memes unlike me and you know it it speaks to a trend in culture where 
we're constantly poking fun at ourselves. And if there was ever a cryptocurrency that pokes fun at the whole system, it's Dogecoin. So I think it was just the idea that this ridiculous meme currency could like take off so much. And then the fact that, you know, all of these big celebrities jumped on board and it started kind of shooting for the moon, as everyone would say. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's the meme in and of itself, right? The fact that it's doing so well, the fact that companies are now starting to accept it as a real currency is like very emblematic, I think, of society and where we're headed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's undeniable, right? And um, and so, you know, obviously you're, you're a really important person in the world of esports and you know, esports, you could argue, is perhaps one of the first instances of um, kind of players work in the context mm-hmm. of the metaverse. And of course, now we're starting to see things like play to earn, which are legitimate forms of income, um, mm-hmm. you know, for certain parts of the world. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you think? of the the function of esports in the context of the metaverse and especially as a, a form of work yeah i'm i'm not sure that esports necessarily fits into this category as much as streaming does right like you you yeah. think about vtubers for example um you know these people that basically create either a virtual like animated version of themselves and when they're streaming on different platforms whether it's twitch youtube facebook whatever that is the face that they're putting out into the world and you know there are a few different companies that are creating these sort of animated avatars essentially and it syncs to um your camera so it picks up you know when you're moving your head when you're opening your mouth so it just seems like you just an animated version of you or there are people that are doing the exact same thing but they're picking animals or unicorns or you know whatever it happens to be so i would say that um streamers more than like esports players specifically are more at the forefront of like the trend of the metaverse interesting i mean so i've got a daughter who's eight Mm-hmm. And she is insistent on becoming a VTuber. And so <laughs> I have to go through this. I mean, she's eight. Right? So I was really yeah. concerned about, obviously, that's why I do it with her. Yeah. Uh, she has this kind of animated character overlay. Um, mm-hmm. We post it on YouTube, but in a private channel. She doesn't understand yet that nobody else can, can see it other than her dad. Right. Um, <laughs> but like, she's in- insistent on it because she would much rather sit and watch people do role play in Minecraft Mm-hmm. Um, they're mm-hmm. pretty much any other form of entertainment at the moment yeah um, and it, it's it's like really mind-blowing how people are using gaming environments beyond what i would traditionally think of as gaming right i mean it's the same thing with grand theft online right like there are people that have created these servers that is literally just dedicated role-playing and they all have their characters and you have to stick with it and if you don't stick with it you get booted out of the server we um, published a story on Wired a few months back about a Microsoft flight simulation community that does the same thing. They role play the pilots. They role play the like air traffic controllers. It's like amazing to see all these people from all over the world literally just coming together and like, like 
basically learning and they get super into it. Like some of them have like trained as air traffic controllers. Some of them are actual literal air traffic controllers in real life and then do this role-playing air traffic controlling in Microsoft Flight Simulator oh in a spare time. So it's like so interesting to see the trends of like how gaming is converging in these digital spaces and like how it's like facilitating a lot of this like role-playing slash meeting slash community kind of stuff. Yeah, and so how much – so somebody said something really interesting to me the other day, which was they felt that there was a cultural appropriation of gaming happening. Hmm. So what used to be quite you know, niche and quite cult is mm. now becoming mainstream, and, and that was yes. basically good and a bad thing. How, how do you look at that? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that's accurate, right? Like I think when I was growing up, being a gamer wasn't seen as a good thing. It was seen as a very nerdy thing. You were other, you weren't cool, like whatever that happened to be. Now I think, and I think it's partially honestly because of Fortnite and just how crazily insanely big it got with yeah. a certain few generations. But um, I I would say that, we are definitely moving towards it being a more accepted culture and not just a subculture anymore. And I think that can only be a good thing in the long term. But I think it's really rocky right now because there are a lot of people that, you know, were kind of shunned for being gamers growing up. And now all of a sudden they're seeing all of these people come in and saying they're gamers and and they feel threatened by that and they want to kind of keep control over this thing that has been solely theirs and their close friends for a really long time. Um, whereas now, you know, gaming literally is everywhere. You have, you know, Ariana Grande concerts in Fortnite and you have Roblox and Vans, the shoe company, creating like a metaverse playground in game. Like it, it's pervasive in like every single part of our lives. Like I remember I was looking up the other day. Um, I can't remember exactly what I Googled, but I found this like Balenciaga video game that they'd created for their like full 2021 line or something. And yeah. I was like, this is literally exactly like, this is crazy. And it looked like, basically like you were in vr and you were walking through this environment with all these like balenciaga clothes and i was like this is insane that like looking back to when you know i started gaming properly when i was in my teens to like now <laughs> it's been like such a quick ascent into into i don't know popular culture i guess you could say yeah and it's interesting because that pervasiveness i think generally is of course accepted its its mainstream its popular culture now mm -hmm. uh, in in the west but of course in china you know in the last couple of days or just even this week they're talking about yeah. restricting gaming access to a whole yeah. generation which seems insane to me i mean to to yeah deny a generation of gaming is like you are you are basically I mean, I, I don't know what the future of china looks like if it doesn't let its kids game i mean that that's a yeah a, a, a i advantage, mean right yeah, I I mean, gaming is so huge in China and mobile gaming specifically, right? Like limiting it to just three hours a week, I, I can't even 
comprehend, right? Like I could sit and play World of Warcraft for seven hours a night. And my mom used to have to unplug the internet to get me to go to bed so I could get up for school the next day, right? Like that probably wasn't healthy. (laughs) It was probably a good idea that she unplugged the internet. But I think there's like a healthy medium and you're not teaching children how to balance their lives and like how to actually deal with these things when you're putting restrictions on them, right? Like a lot of Chinese kids end up going overseas to study and what are they going to do when they get there? If they're gamers in China and all of a sudden they don't have these restrictions, is that going, are they going to be able to handle not having those restrictions? Right. So I think it's like a very interesting use case. I don't necessarily know if it'll have the effect that they want it to have. Even though I understand kind of where they're coming from, like three hours a week does feel like super excessive. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think the reality is that the skills that that generation are going to need are going to be honed in, in gaming, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting thinking about like esports, right? Like China has been really big and doing really, really well over the last few years in, um, uh, oh my God, I just completely mental blanked. I was about to say Lord of the Rings and then I was like, that's not it. That is (laughs) most definitely not what I'm thinking of. Um, League of Legends is what I was thinking of. We got there. It's 1230 AM. We're going to let you get to sleep soon. (laughs) Lord of the Rings you know, League of Legends, basically the same thing. Um, Yeah, they've been doing really, really well. Like Chinese teams have been doing really well in League of Legends over the past few years. If those teams are now all of a sudden restricted on how much they can practice, how much they can scrim against other teams, like that, that's going to be completely detrimental to the entire esports industry in China, which will be really, really bad, I think, overall for the country, because they're really starting to get really big, especially Tencent being based in China, you know, so. And that's a point yeah. of national pride, right? Yeah, just how well China was doing in the context of these mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so let's kind of, let's close off. I know, you know, we, we kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, these kind of principles around the sovereignty of the individual, this kind mm-hmm. of transferability of value between instances of the metaverse between gaming environments but i know mm-hmm. that you're a big fan of um of decentraland so can mm-hmm. you i mean do you subscribe to this idea that there is there is a more open metaverse that exists and, and if so what is it about things like dcl that you you love so much yeah i i love the idea that you know you Okay, so so basically my idea for this comes back to World of Warcraft. I hated that I would grind for so many hours and I would collect these items. And in the end, they don't even really belong to me. I can't use them in other games, anything like that. It literally exists within this one game. And even though I've spent so many hours getting it, it doesn't actually tangibly do anything for me, right? And so I think like the interesting part of what the metaverse eventually will be is that you actually own those items. They belong to you in some sort of, you know, whether it's like your crypto wallet or whatever that happens to be, right? Um, your your NFT wallet, speaking of NFTs, uh, 
And you'll be able to carry that with you wherever you go. You can display it wherever you want. Maybe it's, you know, you have your plot of land in Decentraland or something similar and you build up your house and that's like your home base and you have like a trophy room and you can display these items and people can come through and like see them, you know, they can see like how much effort you put in. They can see like all of the rare items you've had. Like I think eventually a lot of these things will kind of like pull together. Right. But I think we're very much at the start of it. I think the idea of Decentraland, like literally buying and selling land through the blockchain is like a really interesting mix of the few things um, you mentioned, uh, Axie Infinity earlier, which I found out about, I think only a few months ago, I was fairly new to it, but it is wild. Like how much more expensive Axies have gotten over the past few months since it became popular. It's just so interesting to see the trend in these like blockchain based games and, you know, when you get in early, actually how much money you can make of it and how much creativity it gives to people to like build things or create businesses even <laughs> like it's it's kind of wild how seriously are is the industry taking play to earn an axes because on the one hand it's a very simple game right and so yeah you know whenever i've spoken to people that say triple a side of the, the gaming industry it, they're kind of dismissive of blockchain games it's yeah. seen as you know a a, a poor cousin. How 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 is the the industry looking at this space, and has it changed in the last month or so? Yeah, no, I would say that's accurate. Honestly, I think the problem is it's so vastly different from how games have been made previously that it, it's kind of um, I don't want to say like terrifying, but like. I think a lot of people just want to kind of stay within the lanes or the confines that they already know, maybe like venture a little bit out of that, maybe like, you know, innovate a little bit, but this is so vastly different to how most developers have created games in the past that it's really hard to understand the appeal and why it's becoming so popular for a lot of like AAA developers, for example. Um, it's interesting, actually, because I was talking to some of the people at the um, Amazon AWS, the web services team, I think it was like last week, and they were telling me that due to COVID, actually, a lot of game developers only now are starting to really move the development of games online. Um, so they're using, cause you know, a lot of developers, you, if you're developing for a console, you have to have a developer kit console, which means you have a literal physical console that you have to tap into to develop these games. So you had to be in the office, right? But now they're able to like basically plug these developer kits into like cloud services and develop it online from different countries. So now all of a sudden they're not hiring people just within their city or not thinking about like relocating people to the city. They're able to hire the best people that they want all over the world to create these games. So I think it's a very slow trend that's happening. And I think honestly, that's mostly happening with indie developers because they're able to move a little bit quicker. They're a little bit smaller. They're a little bit more like flexible. Um, so I think eventually we'll probably get there. And I think eventually 
developers won't be able to stop paying attention to the blockchain, right? But I think a lot of the conversation right now is about the App Store, for example, like the Epic versus Apple lawsuit and just getting more autonomy over what you can charge your customers and how much of a percentage of that you get. And blockchain is like this whole other thing that's kind of still on the fringes, I would say, of gaming. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I hadn't really fully appreciated that um, game development wasn't already very virtualized. That's 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 a weird thing to think about for the gaming industry. You, you would just assume yeah. that they're going to be some of the most virtualized workforce. Well, look, I mean, yeah. it's been fascinating talking to you. I'm uh, I'm conscious that it's getting close to one o'clock in the morning now for you. So <laughs> I want to make sure you, you get some sleep. So sorry, yes. thanks so much for coming on. And um, how can people follow what you're writing? And um, mm-hmm. I, I guess you're, are you still streaming or? I stream on the Wired Games channel, actually, or the Wired Magazine channel, I should say. Um, so yeah, every Monday you can find me on Twitch tv forward slash wired mag mag uh you can find me on twitter at cyrus Mueller, and you can find uh, all of our games coverage at wired.com forward slash games boom there you go all right Sarah. <laughs> thanks so much for your time get some sleep thank you thanks bye if you enjoyed today's podcast please make sure you subscribe rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.